Santa from inside the house. My name is Dorian. I use he, him pronouns. My name is Casey. I use they, them pronouns. And this is our second episode. It's about the 1935 movie Bride of Frankenstein. Boise. <laughs> Boise. It's a, I, I love it. It's, it's so good. very good. So content warnings for this movie are drowning, fire slash burning, religion slash Christianity, violence, and unrealistic medical trauma. There are also themes throughout the movie of ableist vibes and of the fact that it was made in the 30s depicting something in the 1800s. It's it's got also vaguely homophobic, but also the um the production was largely queer, so we'll be getting into that. But yeah, the homophobia in it is complicated. It's very it's very gay homophobia. Yeah, but not in the way that you'd think. The answer may surprise you. You know how some things are gay and homophobic. Elias Bouchard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like this is not like gay and homophobic in the same way. Yeah, it's it's. Oh, one more thing before we actually get into this because oh. I was about to get into it. Yeah. We watched this movie separately. Norm, last time we watched it on a Zoom call, and that's how we saw it. But um, couldn't get that to work, so I watched it like. I finished watching it about 10 minutes ago, and Dorian, I assume, has seen it, like, 30 times. I have not actually seen it, like, 30 times, but I have seen it quite a few times, and I think I know it pretty well, so. Yeah, and I was live texting him the whole thing. And I read a bunch of essays about it, too, so. Nerd. Yeah. (laughs) So I'd like to kick off by talking about who in this production was queer, so that we can get kind of a better idea. So James Whale, uh, director of this movie and the last one, uh, was gay. And this is kind of more, you see it a lot more in this movie. Um, Absolutely. This movie pretty much ended his career. He was super openly gay in Hollywood, and he was kind of forced to stop making movies after this. He like couldn't really get a production deal because this movie is so queer. It's very queer. Um, Colin Clive, who played Victor Frankenstein, we're doing the same thing with names as last episode, also, with Henry Victor, Victor Henry, so... Um, Although, um, Henry, mm-hmm. the friend, doesn't show up in this episode, so... No, he doesn't, so it's less confusing, but episode I'm, Christ. I'm calling him Victor, because yeah. that's his name. That's uh, he was in the last one. He's by, and then Ernest Thesiger, who plays Pretorius, was queer of some sort. He was probably gay, but we, you know, we can't assume. But he was and, definitely um, queer. Yeah. Oh, I forgot her name already. Elsa Lanchester. Mm-hmm. Um, she was not queer, but her husband was gay. Um, and she was a really vocal ally. And in her autobiography, she wrote a lot about her husband being gay and how much she supported him. And she is one of the allies. Like, she's a super, she was so outspoken about her support for the gays. So, um, we love her and we count her in this. And she played uh, Mary Shelley slash The Bride. 
Can we talk about the opening scene? Yes, we can. Uh, I have a quote about it, too. So, it be- I think the phrase is in media res. I learned that. I learned what that meant in Spanish class. <laughs> um, and so it starts out with uh, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, and Lord Byron, who are definitely involved. Yeah, that's like <laughs> kind of history canon, too. Yeah, that is a whole thing. <laughs> um, you know, doing their thing where they went to a to a like a lakeside resort and wrote horror stories. Um, and the setting is, oh, there's a thunderstorm. Mary pricks her finger on a needle. She sits down with her boys on either side of her, and and Byron's like, oh, damn, Mary, it really sucks that your story is over because I it was really fucked up and that's cool and also you're really white um and she's like oh ho, ho, but there's more and then we fade out and i have a quote about that um that references a bunch of dialogue that was cut from the final press because this movie was released when the Hayes code was fully a thing mm-hmm. um and so a lot of it was cut, like even more than the last one. Um, mm-hmm. And so a lot of really major scenes was were changed, which I'm gonna be talking more about as we get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have some great dialogue quotes that make this even gayer. Uh, it's from the book Monsters in the Closet by Harry M. Benshaw. Mm-hmm. We love, I love that book. I've been kind of using it as a source throughout this whole thing and will continue to. Um, I'm just gonna read all of it because it's well laid out. Mm-hmm. The elegant three are decidedly foppish and repeatedly call each other darling. Their status as sexual transgressors is made clear. Lord Byron refers to himself as England's greatest sinner, while Mary, in dialogue cut from the release print, asserts that Shelley is reviled by society as a monster himself. In a further bit of dialogue, which was also cut, Mary hints at their open relationship. We are all three infidels, scoffers at all marriage ties believing only in living fully and freely in whatever direction the heart dictates. Such an audience needs something stronger than a pretty little love story. And that last line is in there. Yeah. Um, it's talking about how Byron's like, oh, but look at how like pale and fragile you are. And she's like, yeah. So of course I need something with a little more kick to it. Mm-hmm. I just... <laughs> It really, it really is just such a wild thing. You're like, oh, okay, movie time. I know what movie is. I've seen a movie. I've seen a film. Have you? <laughs> yeah, I've seen several. I have proof. It's this podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, it, well, the first time I saw it, it caught me off guard and then, then we tried to watch it like four times and it didn't work. And so then when I actually saw it, it didn't catch me off guard. But um, it was definitely, it was definitely something, huh? It was. Question. You liked, mm-hmm. you liked the first one. Do you like this one more or less? I don't know. I, I think I like it more. I think I like it more because even though it is definitely clearly more censored than the first one, it also seems to say more 
it's super interesting how this is more censored but also so much more gay and queer yeah and like i and and it explores very different themes and also it made me sadder which is how i rank a good horror yeah, see, we're very different in that regard because horror usually doesn't make me sad and I actually, I hate it when mo- movies make me sad. Mm-hmm. Um, I, or I don't mind it if they're like sad movies. I just don't like to have to sit in sadness afterwards. Um, but I think this movie is so much fun. Like it's, it's kind of weird and goofy and I love it. Yeah, well, I mean, like, here's the thing. I am tragically, heartbreakingly genuine. And things make me sad almost constantly. And like more other good podcast shout outs. I, um, I have actually finished Alice Isn't Dead. Started and finished since the last time we recorded. <laughs> um, it's like three seasons and like 10 episodes a pop. It's fine. Um, and... See, that that did manage to creep me out a couple times, but also just, like, horror, right, is, if you think monster horror, well, I think monster horror, I think something alone in the dark, creeping and destroying out of violence, right? And then I think, okay, well, where does violence come from? Violence comes from being afraid. Violence comes from being hurt. Violence comes from that being your only language, and that makes me sad. <laughs> yep, for sure. And that's why in our intro episode, I said that horror is an inherently queer genre. is because in order to have a horror movie, you need to have an outcast. And the outcast yeah. can be a, a person, place, thing, or feeling. But yeah. there has to be something wrong. And um, I think that is a very queer concept of like... yeah. And also just suspense of not knowing what's wrong is super yeah. reminiscent. Yeah. And like I fucking I can't speak on this. I'm white as hell, but I I feel like that idea of an outcast of someone who is considered wrong, who is uh, wrong in whatever way, it feels very feels not only very queer but feels very much feels very core to like alternative music movements but also like um civil rights movements and 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 social justice movements and um I like it quite a bit I think if you if I think if you come out of watching a horror thing and think ah society is put together well you did it wrong yeah um it I don't remember what book this was in uh Mm -hmm. But I was reading a book that was talking about how horror movies reflect what the fears of their societies are. I also heard that. I can't remember where I heard it either, though. In the 50s and 60s, uh, sci-fi and alien movies were really big because of the Red Scare. Because it was people coming in from other places that would corrupt the American way of life. Mm -hmm. And so it... I think horror is the best way that we can reflect on ourselves as a society. Yeah. I think and it's like, the most important and underappreciated genre. And like also like 
you know, like I say, I finished Alice today and I was thinking about like, oh, you, you listen to horror podcasts. Um, <laughs> what type of anti-capitalist are you? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, I feel like horror done right and thought about critically is inherently a little anarchist. Yeah, no, I agree. I think also, keeping with the like 50s and 60s sci-fi themes, something that I think was unintended but comes across really clearly is that a lot of times the the like spaceship or whatever just kind of looks like like fancy rich people house mm-hmm. or like it's like fancy rich people who make all the problems that cause the aliens to come uh, through mm-hmm. or you know it's i think that horror is a really interesting genre because you can see people try to walk the line between making the everyday man the hero and trying not to paint rich people as the villains yeah and they often don't succeed but the movies are better for them not succeeding yeah skipping ahead to the end of the movie <laughs> yeah which is a is a whole thing but really quick really quick just about that right so last scene frankenstein uh the monster meets his bride she's like what the fuck huh and he's like oh fuck off i'm so sad I'm going to be toxically masculine now. And then he realizes, oh, it's not your fault. And then Elizabeth is pounding at the door being like, Henry, Henry, Victor, Victor. It's the same name. I'm in love with your best friend. Victor, Victor, come run away with me. And he's like, I can't leave them. And then the monster's like, go, you live. We must die. And then he kills him, his bride, and Dr. Pretorius, right? And Frankenstein, the one who can't speak in full sentences, the one who is real big and wears big old boots compared to the Baron and the Baroness and the Doctor in their fancy clothes, right? Like, and him being the one who saves the Baron and the Baroness and you know, again, there's this big theme of, like, death, redemption by death, which, hello, Christianity. Um, there's that, that's what you were talking about. That's the working man being the hero, because the rich people fucked it all up, but the rich people still get to get away with it. Yeah, but that, it wasn't always like that, because Tell me more. the censors made it so that Victor and Elizabeth survived. They died in the original cut. And the censors were like, you can't martyr your, like, rich people who the audience are supposed to like along with your monster and your visibly queer man. And your fun, fun woman. And your fun, fun woman. And you can't group them into the same category. And you can't make it so that the good people die in the same way that the bad people die. Mm -hmm. And so they made it so that uh, Victor and Elizabeth have to escape. But uh-huh. they didn't originally. They were all supposed to die together. Role Shakespearean tragedy. Yeah. So I think that is uh, better and really interesting because yeah. the ending does feel the ending feels a little 
forced and weird and off. Feels rushed. When you hear that it was supposed to be no one survives, I think it's Yeah. You you can tell. You go back and and you're like, like, oh, I see. I see where they cut that. Yeah. And like also, this is vindictive. But I do kind of like the idea of Frankenstein having to live with his shame mm-hmm. and knowing what he's done. But does he feel shame? No, but I'd like him to, and I think I could get him to. I think it would be very, very cool if he did. I actually, I don't know if I've seen any of the other sequels that were post-James Whale, so I mm-hmm. can't help you with knowing if he gets any redemption or opposite of redemption yeah no like i don't know i think i i definitely would like it better if they all died at the end um because i don't know there's just there's a part of it that's like no loose ends um of of course and you know spoiler but it's not really a spoiler but the monster doesn't die they make like four other movies he doesn't He's they, not allowed to die. They have to make all of the other movies. Okay. I can just imagine, like... <laughs> Sorry, really nonsensical. I'm imagining, like, a director or someone coming in. at Like, like they're like, all right, clear the set. And then someone comes in with those two panels and they go, clear. And they resurrect the monster and like, all right, so here's your next gig. That's really pleasant to me, and I wanted to share it. Oh, it's very funny. Um, Should we talk about... Oh, I was going to say my favorite character and yours, but I didn't think of two people who that might be. Um, And I think you know who both of them are. Which one do you want to talk about first? Well, actually, there might be three. Oh. Pretty Boy, Blind Man, Minnie. Oh, yeah. No, I was thinking Pretty Boy and Blind Man. but Or Pretty Boy and Minnie. But we can yeah. talk about all three of them. We should. Let me talk about Blind Man first. Of course, yes. Because he love. has, I think, the smallest role. And I have quotes. So, God, this is like, what? It's right before the third act? Second act? Yeah, it's kind of the midpoint. Yeah. So, Adam is like, he's like, been running around the countryside having a panic attack, trying to get any help. And he comes upon this cabin in the woods, and there's a lovely little violin minuet playing. The captions actually say minuet at one point, which I love. <laughs> um, and he's like entranced by it. And again, this is very nice and in character, because remember how he was about the sunlight, right? He likes pretty and- things. He likes pretty things. He's baby. Um, and then he's like looking, and then the man stops playing, and he like comes out. And I really like this. He tu- there's a little bit of rafter that he touches on his way to the door, and he opens the door. He's like, "Who's there?" And Frankenstein is like, to the aud- audience, noticeably poorly hidden, but he doesn't see him. And I was like, ah. They didn't know what hiding was. It was the 30s. <laughs> um, turns out, no. It's, it's, a, it's foreshadowing. Um, and barely. then... What? It's barely foreshadowing. I mean, they knew it. They were, it was intentional. 
We don't have to wait that long to find out what's going on, though. It's foreshadowing by about 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it's enough for me. I've got short attention span. Um, And so they... Then Frankenstein's watching again, and then he goes into the door, and he's like, Mah. and the man comes over, and he's like, my friend, my friend, what's going on? What do you need? And he's like, Mah. and the blind man's like, I, I'm sorry, I can't see you. I don't know what's wrong. I, I'm blind. Forgive me. And Frankenstein's like, Mah. and then the blind man touches his hand, which is all like burnt and fucked up. And he's like, you're hurt. Come inside. And like gives him soup and bread and puts him in his bed. And then there was a line that broke my fucking heart because he's doing his like nightly prayers, right? Broke my heart because I know I'm, I'm genre savvy. I know what's going to happen. <laughs> fucking Martin Blackwood looking ass. Um, this is recorded two days before the Magnus finale. Oh yeah, the Magnus Archives will no longer be a pod- podcast <laughs> by the time this comes out. Fuck me running. I shall look after you and you shall comfort me. Yeah, because he's doing his nightly prayer and he's like, thank you, my lord, for giving me a friend. And then he's holding Frankenstein's hand and says, I shall look after you and you shall comfort me. And I want that in my fucking vows. And like Do Frankenstein, it. what? Do it. I will, bitch. <laughs> the question is whether or not I get married. <laughs> um, and like Frankenstein is like shedding a single tear. God, my chemical romance wishes. Um, and it's gonna be a running gag. You can't this stop was, me. I, I can't. You're so fond of me. You can't help it. Um, and like, and then they're doing lessons and Frankenstein is learning how to speak and like, fuck me. Like, this is a blind person. This is a disabled person saying, oh, you can't speak. There's a moment where he's like, oh, maybe you're affected like me. And like, really hit. And then like, helping him get agency and like helping him understand the world. And he goes, oh, you're affected like me. Put your hand on my shoulder if you can understand me. It's not, there's no moment of judgment. It's just, okay, how can we communicate? Uh And then he's like helping him and like, he's kind. He's so kind. And he's like, this is what wine is. We drink it together because we're friends. This is what a cigar is. We smoke it because we're friends. They hotbox that fucking cabin. Which is so funny. It's great. They hotbox a cabin and then two motherfuckers with a gun come in. Um, And they shoot Frankenstein. He's not hurt, but he sets the cabin on fire. And then they take the blind man away and he goes, oh, my friend oh oh why do you do these things as he's leaving i am going to make sad sounds now because i am sad so a running thing that we're we see in this movie is the Mm -hmm. word friend yeah and the reason that the word friend is a big deal is because of the end where that at the end so here's where is it here it is um 
I have a quote. It's also from Monsters in the Closet. It's talking about what the word friend means. Mm -hmm. um, the Breen office, which was the one of the production code offices, may have even mm -hmm. unwitt unwittingly contributed to the film's overall homoerotic project by insisting that the word mate in reference to the female monster be dropped from the script. Friend replaced mate, supposedly desexualizing the possible heterosexual relationship between the male and female creations, but in effect sexualizing all the other male-male bonds, most of which are also described in terms of friendship. So because the romantic relationship between the monster and the bride, like she is called the bride, they are married-ish. Mm. Um, yeah, There's no ceremony. Yeah, kind of, but you know, she's in white and looks cool. Yeah because those are the same words that are used mm -hmm. for every friendship throughout we mm -hmm. can read all of those relationships as the same yeah level of intimacy um and i think also i, I have so many things and i don't know what order to say them in um, all right this there's an essay there's this guy uh, his name is Gary Morris. He wrote two essays that I may be referencing. Mm -hmm. One that I definitely will be, because I'm about to. Um, but he, um, in his essay, uh, Sexual Subversion, Bride of Frankenstein, he mm -hmm. wrote that the only successful, loving, if woefully brief relationship in the film is that between two unmistakable outsiders, both men, the monster and an old blind hermit, who set up house like the blissful married couple they might in a more just society be permitted to be. But yeah, no, like, like, listen, I'm a non-binary person, I'm a disabled person, I'm a very queer person, I don't intend to date outside, I'm not, I don't intend to date an abled person, I don't intend to date a cis or heterosexual person, and even though it's so brief and i think that's why it broke my heart so much because i was like oh ha. <laughs> like it's this beautiful beautiful thing of like literally the blind leading the blind yeah i was gonna text that to you and then i was like is it too on the nose no <laughs> i was thinking it um but yeah and it and it just I think it made me sad because it's so bittersweet. Yeah. And like and I I really really liked that two scenes. It was so good. I love that. I love it so much. Yeah. Cuz okay. yeah. It's you know, it's highly recommend if you can get your hands on a copy of Bride of Frankenstein. It's available to rent everywhere. It's available for free nowhere. There are a lot of movies that fit into this weird space where the rights are kind of this is my theory is that the rights are too expensive for streaming services to pick up but they're too famous for people to bootleg so like they'll actually crack mm -hmm. down on it yeah so it's a weird um, gray area but i would suggest checking out this scene if nothing else it's really good i'm pretty sure the scenes individually will be on youtube if even in like a video essay <laughs> Yeah. For reference. Um, Should we talk about Mini next? Because yes. I feel like I have the most to say about Pretorius. Mm -hmm. Or Pretty Boy. Pretty Boy. I, fuck spelling his name. It's um, <laughs> So, Mini. She was who I referenced last episode about so many people hate her, but I am obsessed. She's perfect. She's the perfect 
she screams the whole time she's like he's probably not dead he was a fucking monster and everyone's like no shut up go home and she's like fine and then she sees him and she's like ah and runs through the town screaming and is like he's alive and they're like shut up go to bed and she's like fine and then she goes to bed and then pretty boy comes in and she's like oh you're weird and queer looking you shouldn't mess with him master and he's like no go to bed I'm like, fine. <laughs> she has very big john mulaney energy she does she seems like a john mulaney character a little bit she really <laughs> like you know a dumb what's his face the the duck guy yeah 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 Yeah. no she's perfect she's the ideal woman also her headdress Mm -hmm. i couldn't get a good look at it but it's like a circlet and a bonnet and then off the back there's like a line and then it like it like holds like a foot above her head it's like a little cross i don't know it's you know we're playing fast and loose with time and geography so i think it's there's probably a reason and if you know that reason you can email us at from inside the house pod at gmail.com um but i don't know it yeah, no, I don't know it either, but I looked her up really quick. Side note, a lot of Minnie Mouse when you look up Minnie Bride of Frankenstein. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know the concept of like those gothic collars where you flip up a collar so it makes you look all fancy? Mm-hmm. It's like that, but the back of a bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> like she took her bonnet and flipped it up above her head. Um, and it's a great way to like have her stand out. Yeah. Ah, she's so she's so good. You know who she reminds me of? Who? Max's wife in Princess Bride. Yeah. I think that's a really common character portrait of just like like a like a maid or some kind of domestic woman who's mm-hmm. very brash and kind of comedic. Yeah. And they're always just kind of the best. Yeah. Um I don't like have a lot to I don't have any insight into yeah, I don't her have character. a lot to say about her. I just feel like we should appreciate her more as I a love society. Her. Yeah. Um, she's great. Okay. Yeah. for my favorite character in the whole movie. Pretty boy. Pretty, Pretty boy. boy himself. Dr. Pretorius. I will be calling him by his name because I will. you know. Um Gay ass. He is a <laughs> He's a really good example of the sissy character. Shorthand for day, but you have to put them in a villainous role, usually. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some exceptions, but none that I can think of from this time or after. Um, Mm -hmm. There are some sissy characters in more heroic roles. Not heroic, but like more good um, before 1930s. but I have a little quote from the essay Film Sissies, but also by Gary Morris. Um, and it's, as a distorted mirror of masculinity, the sissy fascinates as both a challenge to rigid masculine norms and a reinforcement of them. His mere presence and close proximity to the heterosexual male, often as a valet, decorator, or faithful friend, 
subtly reminds the audience that there are other, perhaps more satisfying ways of being than conventional heterosexuality. Um, so like Disney villains often fall into the sissy character role. Um, my first thought was the villain in Aladdin. Yeah, Jafar. Yeah. Like, Scar is a big one from The Lion King. Yep. Um, not a not a Disney villain, Doctor Frankenfurter. Yeah. Um, That's like his whole character thesis. Yeah. <laughs> um, but a sissy character playing a villain is mm-hmm. a really because that's the only context in which you could show a effeminate male character mm-hmm. um, it became shorthand for evil mm-hmm. and so now with disney villains a lot of people a lot of people who worked at disney claim to not have been queer coding but i think they knew what they were doing um but it's also a- um i don't know if she falls in the same category but Ursula definitely. Ursula is more complicated because she literally is divine, the drag queen who I'm obsessed with. She is complicated. Female Disney villains are all lesbians, but for slightly different reasons. Yeah. Not super different reasons, but slightly different reasons. Maybe it's just, I, I can't think of a single butch. So female Disney villain butch is complicated baby i know i know i don't have to tell you but in movies i mean because like masculine yeah well because femininity in movies especially is Mm -hmm. so pure and like exalted and uh like because good female characters are often so like hyper feminized yeah um a lot of female villains will be masculine in a kind of non-traditional way but they will be referred to either in text or in criticism as butch and contextually within the movie i guess kind of Mm -hmm. um but that's kind of one of those scenarios where I don't think the words fit quite right, no matter yeah. what you say. Yeah, I mean, I look at like, not maybe not Ursula's a bad example because literal actual human drag queen. Um, but uh, uh, Maleficent, I think, is a good yeah. example of like in critique when you're talking about Disney villains being queer. Mm-hmm. Um, she is categorized as like butch because she is strong and harsh and exhibits a lot of traditionally male characteristics in her personality but in terms of visual design not so much and in like terms as of a, lo- a lesbian yeah. she is a femme yeah F-E-M-M-E. for sure for sure um um but like contextually yeah when you think about it as if it was a self-contained universe you know maleficent is more masculine than aurora in sleeping beauty and so you would put her all the way on the other end of the spectrum she is definitely more butch yeah but it's the kind of thing of like do you take when you're doing these kinds of critiques do you take the movie in the context of the world or in the context of the world of the movie right and that's like anyways dr pretorius (laughs) yeah um 
but I love him because I just I like I like feeling represented you know <laughs> I'm also a, a weird gay man who would consider making homunculi <laughs> which I love I the scene with his little people it's I always forget that he made homunculi he just made like little dudes yeah it's so weird i don't know i love it i love it so much um also king is horny also birth he he birthed people as as a man without a woman stay um he did he did fucking in vitro but he did it in the the, the the dish the whole time <laughs> um yeah no i it's i think it's really taking the monster and the blind man as a domestic couple and contrasting that with henry and pretorius as a domestic couple yeah is very interesting yeah i mean i Honestly, I would argue that there are three, um, my cat has gotten into the space under my desk. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh. And we'll be making sounds for the next small bit. I'm going to talk over it. Yeah. I, we can't wait for him to leave, so. Oh. Dear listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you're welcome, listeners. Um... I think Dr. Pretorius and Victor, the blind man and Adam, and Adam and Dr. Pretorius. Uh I mean, so I actually, I texted you about this while I was watching it. My, my, not my, like my second take on Dr. Pretorius was that I didn't like him as much as like the first section we saw him in. Because... The dynamic is so different because we just came we just came off of um Adam being separated from the blind man. And then and then when Dr. Pretorius and Adam meet, the dynamic is so much is so different and it's so much more controlling. And it, it really it really rubs me the wrong way. And, like, I can really enjoy Pretorius as a villain when he's in scenes with Frankenstein. When Frankenstein is his, like, scene partner, basically. But when he when his part, scene partner is Adam, I don't know. Just yeah. Kinda... No, I agree with you 100%. I have a quote about that from Sexual Subversion, Bride of Frankenstein by Jerry Morris. The monster can be seen as the terrifying child of the unholy marriage of Pretorius and Henry. Henry is the father in giving it life. Pretorius, a mother figure who nurtures it. The monster is society's paranoid vision of the logical outcome of a homosexual tryst. It is a child in many ways. Uh, I don't know that word. Um, <laughs> demanding affection and attention, unreasonable and violent when crossed. Henry exhibits an overall revulsion to, towards his child, alternately excited and repulsed by what he has produced. Pretorius mm-hmm. is the monster's more involved but manipulative, even abusive parent figure. Yeah. The embodiment of society's fears of the vast damage the homosexual nefariously moving into the role of domestic caretaker 
teacher of social values and sexual attributes is capable of doing. Sorry that was so long. But yeah. Thought all of it was good. It it is. It really accurate accurately sums up my feelings about the situation. I'm much more comfortable with Pretorius and Victor's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um also I don't know if this is like a thing, but I I did notice Pretorius was like, Jin, it's my only weakness. And then he goes, cigarettes, my only weakness. And he says, Jin to I know he I know the Jin means he's gay. He yeah. sends Jin to um Victor and then says, Oh, cigarettes, they're my only weakness to the monster. And is that a thing? So maybe. There are a lot of things where I could make it a thing, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if that's a little bit me grasping at straws. Um, the gin thing is um, because uh, at speakeasies, they would bootleg gin, uh, and speakeasies were a really open community for queer people. That's why it's mm-hmm. gin and not anything else. Um, yeah. But cigarettes it could be a couple things or it there's could the obvious a, a joke yeah yeah uh-huh. <laughs> it's a funny joke though it made me laugh yeah it is nice i also like hey not to clearly bit been have raised in a town full of stoners <laughs> but <laughs> i don't know i i do like there is a certain homoerotic intimacy to lighting someone else's cigarette or joint or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And I like that it's here. <laughs> I I listen. I like it. <laughs> Unless you want to get me on a mechanisms tangent, I don't. I will say no more. I love you. We don't. <laughs> We don't need to do that. There's another one that might come up. Oof. Just because of the science in the bride's creation. Let's talk about some science. (laughs) I think we should talk about the (laughs) the court. Um, So Pretorius is like, Victor, I have created life. Um, And Victor's like... But I made him little. Victor's like, oh, my effeminate friend, you have succeeded in pulling me away from my bride on our wedding night. Um, (laughs) There's no imagery here. Um, uh, (laughs) But so he has all of these jars full of little people that he's made, which keep in mind, the 30s, it's really well done special effects. Like, it's fantastic. It's really um, good. And so he, uh, there's this king and uh, his wife and a, a nun, is it? Is the, what's the third one? A vicar? Archbishop? Yeah, it's some church guy, but then there's the, doesn't the king try to cheat on his wife with someone or am I making that up? No, the king is really horny about his wife. His wife is not into it. And the archbishop is very upset about the whole thing. 
Yeah, and so they do this, like, weird little comedy skit, but it's very oddly sinister because it's these tiny people kept in jars. And so the king gets out, and he tries to get to his wife, and is like, I love you so much. They sound like fucking Animal Crossing villagers. It's great. Yeah. It's it, They're small, so they have to speed all high-pitched and sped up. No. Um, and then he picks the king up with a pair of tweezers and puts him back in his jar and puts a teacup on top of him. It's fucked up. Also, so you did miss some. There are three more. Oh, yes. I... There is a ballerina who will only dance to a certain song and he's bored of her. Yeah. There is a mermaid that he says comes from an experiment with seaweed. And then, so this is in, so it goes Queen King and then this character who I love. And he says, this character is like the devil himself. Quite a resemblance to me, don't you think? I always forget I about the myself. devil. And then, and then he's like, oh, and here's this character who I didn't really have a role for, but he really hates that the king and queen want to bang. So they made him the archbishop. Yeah. And I, I remember one of the first times I watched that recently, uh, I was like, wait, can we hold, go back for a second? Yeah, can we? Can we go we back to Satan? Can we go back to the devil, please? The devil? I and would, his great mustache? I would like... Like, I would like to in-universe talk about that more. You made a tiny devil. <laughs> it's never discussed again. No, it's not. And I support him. Yeah, so he's he that whole scene is basically Pretorius going, Hey man, I can do this, but my scale is off. I need you to get me. I can grow you a brain but i need you to put the body together mm -hmm. um and frank is like yeah sure and then he comes back to his wife and she's like no but think about god and he's like oh fuck god and then he's like no to pretorius when he comes back and then pretorius having gotten adam on his side he's like hey man i'm gonna get you a friend and adam is the one who says wife which i think is sketch yeah, I don't, there's a lot of, like, little dialogue stuff where it's a bit hard to tell what was meant to be. It's just yeah. like, you know, you don't know if they wrote wife in a different part and that line was cut. Yeah. Um. So it, it, it's a little bit funky. I do think that Adam's entire life has been defined around the marriage of Victor and Elizabeth. That is true. So it might that be connected to that in some way. Yeah. Yeah. He sees Victor constantly leaving him because of Elizabeth. And so and he, he wants someone that he can leave for. Right. Yeah. He is, he is a creature who defines himself by loneliness. Mm-hmm. Um, my guy really says death. Good. I hate living. Yeah. Get some eyeliner, baby. 
Um, Where's the hot topic, honey? Let's go. <laughs> yeah, he, um, I, earlier you said something about how uh, when the bride is kind of freaked out and doesn't want to immediately marry him, uh, he kind of pouts. But then I also think that there's a context to take it in where he has been told that there's soon going to be someone who will care about you and then all of a sudden she doesn't care about him yeah no i i totally get it it is just also additionally the image of a very large man demanding that a woman he just has met marry him yes i 100 percent agree yeah so it, it's in it's in two ways. Like when you think about it, it's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But also the it image is. of it is very powerful. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I was just gonna say that bit about the friend wife, which I think is the line that Frankenstein says, or right in that sweet spot where I have a near perfect memory of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um and there's something that Mr. Benito Serino of Pocker Pals uh, talks about in when you have something that was put together out of multiple books in the Bible, he like talks about being able to see the seams of where one version of the oral history tradition was put into another. And this really feels like that where you're like, something's up here. Yeah. Something's changed. I don't know if the, it was that line specifically, but I don't mm-hmm. think that it's that far of a leap to think that that line was originally mate's wife, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, kind of makes the relationship more pure, but making it friend-wife kind of equates the two and makes everything else at that level. Because, you know, in this movie, with all of its fun religious imagery, um, it kind of if it the line was mate wife it would be bringing the church into the relationship because to get married you have to get your marriage officiated uh, if it was just mate wife it'd be like oh you know they're making this relationship real and that's the mm-hmm. evolution in this in the monster psyche mm-hmm. um, but because it's friend wife it's like the leap from friend to wife is a short one and so any of the many characters that have called each other friend are just mm-hmm. that one little hop away from being wife. Don't Pretorius and um, Victor call each other friends? Oh, yeah. I also, uh, Pretorius calls Victor, is like not as mentor and student, not as mentor and pupil, but as fellow scientists, mm-hmm. which I think is a very nice little it sort of very clearly seems like the writer going right so that was the old dynamic of the last movie Mm -hmm. mentor pupil new dynamic two scientists yeah speaking of religious imagery yes the bit where they capture frankenstein and have him on a tree and hold there's a shot where they hold him up and his hands are bound behind his head so his arms kind of come out Mm mm-hmm and it's not exactly a cross, but it's also not, not a it? cross. <laughs> isn't it a cross? Yeah. And then they're throwing rocks and sticks at him. It might not be, like, 
the crucifixion. Mm-hmm. But I would say that it is a crucifixion or a yeah. martyrdom of some kind, definitely. Lower lowercase C. Yeah. Um, um no. I like saw that I was like, oh, I know what you're doing. That was a big point with the censors too, was taking a lot of the religious imagery out because it's a very kind of anti-church movie. Really? Yeah. Um because all of all of the monster's problems are created by people telling him that he's not pure and that he's not good. And there was an opportunity for him to have a good relationship with religion through the blind man. But that was taken away because of the greater church. That was one guy, one, you know, sex or one practitioner who... Or two guys with a gun in this case, but yeah. yeah. No, the, the blind man was a one guy one sex, yes, one yes, practitioner yes, yes, yes. who had adopted religion into his life in a very healthy way and in the way that religion was supposed to be adopted into his life so i don't think it's anti-religion but i think it's anti-church mm-hmm. which i love it when people do that i love it when people are like i don't like uh the church or a church in particular um because of its impact on communities in general but I have no problem with religion itself. Yeah. I think that's a really Faith cool is important. Thing. Controlling faith is sketch. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously that is not to say that every church is bad or even that the churches in question are bad. Um, it is just to say that I think it's really cool when people talk about their own experiences with a group or a dynamic yeah. um, in nuanced ways. Yeah, and 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 I was very much interpreting that thing that you just said as the church as capital C, the global Catholic Church. Yeah, where a man in Italy can tell you what to do about gay people versus your community church, for sure. where you feel loved and cared for. Yeah, for sure. Or Definitely. not, you yeah. know, yeah. churches can be fucked up too. But like, I have a quote that I think we could talk about the themes in the quote. Um, it's from the book. My one of my I love this book. I love this man who wrote this book. It's the Celluloid Closet, uh, revised edition by Vito Russo. Um, there's also a movie called The Celluloid Closet that's based off the book. It's a documentary. It's really good. Um, it's talking about the difference between the monsters. Uh, kind of perspective and development between the two movies. So it mm-hmm. says the monster in Frankenstein bears the brunt of society's reaction to his existence. And in the sequel, the monster himself is painfully aware of his own unnaturalness. In The Bride mm-hmm. of Frankenstein, it is the odd sissified Dr. Pretorius who comes to entice Henry Frankenstein from his bridal bed in the middle of the night. That's kind of the second mm-hmm. half of the quote, but I included it in the same thing because mm-hmm. I'm bad at citing, apparently. <laughs> Um, but I think that first part about just the just the phrase, the monster himself is painfully aware of his own unnaturalness. True, the second one to me too. Yeah. Like he literally says, I know who Frankenstein is. He made me from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can he's like, Y'all are alive, and I am from death. Yeah. Like which is a raw line, by the by. Yeah, and like, that kind of reminds me of finding, uh, like, community and being like, no, I am 
I am a different kind of person than you are. It's fine that I'm a different kind of person yeah. than I, you are. It's it's the way that, you know, mar- gay people, marginalized people will see a monster and go, hell yeah, man, that's fucking rad. Yeah. Monster movies are just about gay people. They're just about gay people. They are just, in fact, about gay people. Um, yeah, no, I... I... yeah yeah i don't have it's a very good quote and it's right no i don't have anything to add oh no that's fine i want to talk about how the bride is a drag queen i am interested to hear your thoughts about this (laughs) oh (laughs) there's an energy in the studio i didn't mean for there to be i'm sorry it's fine it's fine you're good um so for one thing um very exaggerated femininity right and then also her hair her hair i love her hair it's classic bride of frankenstein hair right it's straight upwards with a white streak in it as though she has been electrified like she has um and I don't know it I saw something on Instagram about how or maybe it was either on Instagram or it was either in last episode when you told me it about how the acknowledging of gender as a performance allows you to and like the performance of it like like we're all performing different parts of gender and drag is just um like following that idea further um so yeah on that I have a uh some notes that I took on a lecture called queer theory and gender performativity by professor um Paul Fry it it's for Yale it's on YouTube I don't go to Yale (laughs) um um and it was about it was comparing and contrasting concepts of gender performativity between Foucault and Judith Butler and that he talked a little bit about at the end about gender and drag and so I wrote drag imitates gender but without gender being a performance drag wouldn't be either drag is perpetual self-construction and so is gender you keep constructing gender around yourself Um, it stabilizes identity exposes anxieties about your identity drag shows us that those anxieties are happening. It, quote, reminds us how awkward the apparel of ourselves that we call our identity actually is. So the thing I was remembering is you talking to me about this lecture, <laughs> which is delightful. Um, but yeah, I think the same could be, I think the, the character of Elizabeth and the character of the bride are really interesting to me because the bride really does feel like Elizabeth but turned up a notch, right? Yeah. Because you, okay, like the first scene we see Elizabeth in, she's wearing like, like just an excellent nightgown. <laughs> it's like those, those really big long ones with the f- ridiculous fur rimmed sleeves and stuff. Um, And then you see the bride and she is in like, I assume canvas scrubs stuff, bandage material, but it's that same thing of like long sleeves that kind of trail along 
dress that trails and it's a like, wedding it's a wedding dress it's a wedding dress and <laughs> you know that video that's how to uh wear makeup in a god-fearing way mm-hmm. that's how elizabeth's makeup is done whereas the bride's makeup is much more clearly makeup yeah like she clearly has like dark lipstick on and like eyeshadow and like eyeliner and shit and i think we talked a little bit about this last time about how frankenstein is very much a man and like definitely like the concept of a man turned up Mm -hmm. the bride we didn't talk about this last time yeah i thought about it (laughs) well i i we talked about how like the image of a very big man and to me um but yeah so to me the monster is very much a a a manly man right he's he's really big he wears big boots oh he do you remember that one time we talked about what butch means for gay men versus queer women Mm -hmm. yeah it's kind of like that where you perform masculinity to such a high degree that it becomes kind of feminine yeah i mean the monster's butch yeah and that's all there is to it monster's butch in whichever way you can spin it he's butch if you spin him like a gay man he's butch if you spin him like a lesbian he's gender butch baby (laughs) hat um but like also you know you think about the stereotypical man doesn't know how to communicate the monster can't talk you know and then also but along that line same line of communication mm-hmm. um if you think about the stereotypical feminine woman being kind of innocent and naive turn that up and you have the the bride who is childlike almost and screaming at something that she doesn't understand <laughs> and also that idea of women as um hysterical right you there's in one of the first scenes there's elizabeth and she she's talking about pretorius i think she is describing a specter of death another one of those real quick foreshadows that i love Mm. um and then the caption is hysterical laughing um which i just thought was interesting because it's been a while since i've seen anything described as hysterical um in that way and like you see that same idea of a very weak very emotional emotionally driven woman like the bride takes two steps and then falls into frankenstein's arms yeah and then takes two more steps and then falls and then sees the monster and screams and falls and is put onto a couch and screams and turns into frankenstein and and screams more like they're a very they're a very queerly straight couple yeah you ever see a couple and you're like you guys are both so gay like you're so straight that you're gay that you're straight again it's great it's these two it's my favorite kind of couple Mm -hmm. and it's these two absolutely yeah i think the their gender is really interesting to me 
because both of them feel like they both feel like they're in drag and they're not in drag and also a butch woman and a very effeminate gay man right like it's, it's a lot I feel like it's almost a butch woman and a very effeminate gay man in the opposite direction. Same like, Kind of like the bride is the effeminate gay man. and That's what I meant. Oh, oh me. wasn't sure. It, it could also go the other way. It could go the other way. But also, you know, keeping with butch in comparison to other characters in the film. Yes. That's, you know, that's where it gets into like women aren't allowed to be masculine on screen. Yep. Completely unrelated. I want to talk about how uh, the monster's autistic. Yeah, do it. <laughs> um, it's not entirely unrelated, but um, so so actually I was watching this and I got a little I got a little antsy because there is a scene where Frankenstein He's with the blind man, grabs the violin off the wall, and puts it in the blind man's hands and says, good. And the blind man says, oh, music? You like music? And he, and he goes, music, good. And the blind man sits down, and, he, and, and the monster pulls up a stool, and um, that's when the captions say minuet, and I love it. <laughs> um, and... Frankenstein who you know he does his Frankenstein arms right he's been holding his hands out in front of him the whole time and he like starts flapping and it like it was just such a lovely because I'm fully in the monsters the hero and yeah you know he's a complicated hero but he didn't kill any kids in this movie he didn't kill it I don't think he killed anybody no I think the body count of this movie is very low three and you know until the end but well wait okay so there's the woman that gets murdered spoilers for the bride's heart yeah the bride the monster there's the guy who like falls into the pit right in the very beginning who he drowns oh hans and his wife at the very beginning yeah the woman hans by the way is the father of the girl who is tragically murdered which like that family is going through so much. Yeah. All three of them die. So so Hans and his wife, the girl who gets murdered for the heart, the bride, the monster, pretty boy. Yeah. Um, not the point. Um, but I I um it was very nice to see like in my heart, the hero of the movie, like have like this like real joy and real kindness of like discovering something that he really likes and expressing it and receiving no judgment and just be just having getting more of it freely given it's really sweet and like i think also the comparison is obviously there between non-speaking autistic people non-speaking neurodivergent people People who have varying levels of of ex- express various levels of speech. I don't know the phrase for that. Yeah, I, variously sure. verbal. Yeah. Um, and it's just the monster 
feels really neurodivergent and really autistic specifically in this movie and I just fucking adore it it made me so happy to see you know maybe it's because the the blind man is blind and he cannot see that the monster is expressing joy in this way or maybe could he see or could or he he know that this is the monster's joy he would continue to provide this joyful thing and I just here's my next fix it fic one fix it fic prep I'm not gonna write any of them um the monster and the blind man get to live happily ever after coffee shop au slow burn 25,000 words I'm just imagining the monster and the blind man in a coffee shop and how much of a mess that would be the coffee shop is the blind man's house because they have a fancy coffee machine. Yes. And they're actually married at the start of the fic. The slow burn is whether or not everyone else in the community realizes that they're married. What did you think of the comedy in this movie? Because I think that's a really big difference between this movie and the first movie. Yeah. I will be real. Mm-hmm. This will not surprise you. I didn't catch most of it. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's it feels very slapstick, right? Yeah. Like like the death of Hans and his wife, right, is very slapstick. They both fall into a well, basically. Yeah. And there's a cut to an owl each time. <laughs> yeah. Which definitely feels like we're making a joke. It's very campy. Yeah. Um, um, and I think Minnie also is where that comedy comes from. And Minnie, oh, the Burgomeister is the straight man in their duo. There's a lot of scenes where Minnie's like, oh, what the fuck? These things are being bad. What the fuck is going on? Ah. And then Burgomeister says, calm down, good woman. It's all fine. And then it's not fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that's a little bit of the comedy. But if there's more than that, I didn't get it. I was busy being sad. (laughs) There are some running gags, like Pretorius calling two different things his only vice, and Mm -hmm. um, the whole just thing with the the homunculi is very funny. It's It's so funny. funny. I found Um, it very charming. Yeah, but there is actually a comedy movie uh, called Young Frankenstein starring Mm -hmm. Gene Wilder. Um, it was made in 1974, mm-hmm. and it's a a comedic remake of this mm-hmm. movie, mm-hmm. and I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, it's it's good, and I just I think that a, it's really interesting how this movie is kind of more popular than the first one. Yeah. Um, and also it's a lot funnier but it also has more to say like i think it's written off sometimes as just the funny one the goofy one yeah i mean i think i i I, i've used this metaphor a lot it really does feel like the previous movie turned up right Mm -hmm. like i feel like the previous movie had a lot of opportunity for comedy to happen and this movie and had a lot of things to say but didn't really maybe didn't commit to him as much as they could have right yeah and then in this movie 
they committed both more to the bit and more to the to what they were saying and with the commitment that is a little bit you have to wonder how much of it was taken out by censors yeah yeah um, and yeah. also how much of it was the director going oh well i got away with one <laughs> well, let me see how far i can go yeah it's i'm pretty sure this was one of the last like movies that james whale made that people actually watched Mm -hmm. like I think he might have made a couple other ones much later that were just not advertised or popular by a big studio mm -hmm. or whatever but mm -hmm. he really had a run of four movies in the early to mid 30s that created so much and then he was kind of shoved out of Hollywood because he was gay and this movie was the last one that he made of those four and so you have to wonder if the queerness of this movie was kind of yeah. what took him down like we're all so it's much better for movie. it it's so good it's such a good movie i can genuinely see myself watching this movie again wow i know that's exciting for me because i don't know if you've <laughs> said that about a movie before maybe elvira yeah well i mean there are there are movies that I watch repeatedly, and they are the Lord of the Rings movies, Princess Bride, a little bit Rocky Horror, maybe Elvira, and this movie. Mm -hmm. And I would say the Lord of the Rings because that was so much a part of my childhood. But this is definitely one of the few movies that I have in my young adulthood, let's say, gone, yeah, I'd watch that again. That's exciting. That's I, you know, I'll watch it in my way where I'm... <laughs> playing subway surfer but i definitely i really enjoyed it and this is a little mean to the previous movie uh -huh. but it does feel like a better intro movie i think that's fair but i don't think that you can watch this movie but without having watched the first one you gotta eat your vegetables first but you know yeah no i agree there are definitely you know this but you don't know the extent to which I have had so much internal turmoil over the order in which we're watching movies. Um, yeah. Because we're, especially at the beginning, I kept us in the 30s for a long time. I, when I first made the list of movies that we were going to do for this, this show, I wanted to do a real chronological way of how you can see the genre evolve. Yeah. And then I realized that if this was an intro to horror movies, mm -hmm. we should start with some of the foundations of the genre. And then we should go to some of the big names, maybe. And then we should go into some more like things that created other things rather yep. than going into like weird, obscure 50s movies on a tangent, like I had for a little bit. But I, I pulled back from. Um, we're, we're still gonna hit them just much later and not okay. all in a block that's probably good that's the thing i had big blocks of tones um and it wasn't good but yeah i definitely think that this is a better movie and i definitely think that this is a better movie to get into but also yeah. you need to you need to know what they're referencing you need to have the context yeah I mean, I feel like they knew a little bit. 
because like there's a little bit of summation of the previous movie mm-hmm. and like they definitely just straight up play scenes from the previous movie superimposed over mary shelley yeah but yeah i think you're right so next week we're going to be watching uh dracula also from 1931 um i don't remember who it was directed by but it Dracula's played by Bella Lugosi of Bauhaus song fame. Also, I think Mountain Goats. Maybe. I don't know Mountain Goats. No, I'm thinking Dino Lepati. Hmm. But, um... <laughs> I, I don't... You're fine. It was just great. Um, yeah, we're watching Dracula. We're getting in to Vampires... I you, not only Dorian will benefit from this, but I'm gonna do my fucking makeup for the next recording. Good, I'm excited. All right, so um, thank you so much for listening. If you want to contact us, you can get at us on Instagram at fromincidethehouse.pod, where we post fun things and gay things. Um, it's good. You should follow us. Um, if you have thoughts about the episode, if you have thoughts about the movies we've covered so far, all two of them, you can email us at fromincidethehousepod at gmail.com. Um, we check it, and we're, we're nice. We're lovely. We're great people. We're great. <laughs> I've been told that I am, I'm, I'm a charmer, baby. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We'll be with you in two weeks. And uh, as always, don't go up the stairs.